0: Foodie and the Beast, too fast, with mm-hmm. David Nicky Nellis. Uh, you know that snowstorm? It's not coming here, so stop doing all that. I, there was a line outside a giant this morning, people freaking out. Relax, it's not coming. <laughs> you uh, could uh, just
1: come to our studio, because there's plenty of food there's here. There's plenty
0: of food here, yeah, and we can wine. take care of you. So, uh, Mauricio Fraga Rosenfeld closed Mate in September, and he opened a new restaurant called Susheria. Okay, you're
1: not doing this right. So, Mauricio... Had a bunch of restaurants here about 10 years ago. Oh, my mommy. 10 right? Ago. 10 years ago. And then uh, he left. He went out of the country. He went to go do other things. But now he's back. And now he has a new restaurant. From
0: Ecuador. Yes. I knew that and you didn't know okay. that. Okay, Well, whatever.
1: I'm just saying, you didn't right. the introduction right. Oh, go ahead.
0: God in heaven. Let's try it. Oh, I'm going to murder you right here in okay. front of witnesses. All right. So, anyways, uh, Mauricio's in with his wife, Nazreen, and Chef Javier Angeles Beron. Did I do it right? Yes. Angelus. Angeles.
2: Like Angeles, Los Angeles, like, oh. like Los Angeles. We don't
0: do it in oh, oh man. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Sushiria, which is a—it's kind of a—what do you call it? A casual glam sushi restaurant
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, with a modern Latin influence, and we've got all the food in front of us. So the Meryl Streep of James Beard Cookbook Awards is a lady named Dori Greenspan, and she, her 13th cookbook has just come out. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be on the phone with us. We'll be talking to her. She's won every...
1: Well, she's won a ton of James Beard Awards, but not only that, this new book, Everyday Dory, is really beautiful, and it's all about the way she cooks, so we're going to be talking to her a little later in the show. And entertains
0: at her apartment, either in Paris, Connecticut, or New York. Right. Mm. It's a hard life. So when it comes to cocktails and understanding peak hospitality, nobody beats DC's Derek Brown. And he is really the man with the Midas touch. He's got a new book coming out next spring. He's got cool pop-up projects happening, and we've invited him in to tell us all about it. Mm -hmm. And he's gonna do that. All right. And Ellen Todd Gray uh, have a restaurant called Mana. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And um, every year they do something very cool. This year they're doing a gingerbread baking and gingerbread house making uh, uh, class, class, a series of classes. And I think Ellen's coming in, but she uh, sent uh, sous chef Darnell Thomas in mm-hmm. with his beautiful daughter, Shia. I know,
1: she's so And cute. she
0: is shy. And they're going to be
1: doing um, a demo in where the studio. They're going to do a
0: demo. He also brought in Trey Smith, who's their head barista. He's a coffee freak, so we're going to hear all about that. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, we'd like to imbibe while we chat. And uh, Connor McCormick from District Winery is in with some great wines that are not, not just great in studio, but great thoughts for the uh, for holiday. Well, not only that, I
1: got to join Connor when he did his winemaking earlier this year. So I'm really looking forward to talking about the finished product from All what right, he but uh, with.
0: you know what? Let's yes, first let's go to Mitch, to Mitch Berliner at Central Farm Markets. How cold is it out there, Mitch?
1: Hi, Mitch. Um, Jessica,
0: good morning, good morning. Good, 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 good morning.
3: <laughs> so I just want to tell you, it's not that it's cold. People just here don't know how to dress.
1: Right, Absolutely. that must be the problem. Yes. So, I'm totally with you. Uh, All right, well, listen, we you know this outerwear. is our last show of the year, so we want to talk about some of the highlights that are going on at Market over the next three weeks. So can you tell us?
3: Okay. I will. So thank you for asking. So, of course, we are your holiday headquarters, mm-hmm. needless to say. We've got everything for gifts and your holiday parties and New Year's and Christmas and we've got uh, all kinds of shelf stable stuff from honey to pear butters and jams and jellies and maple sugar and syrups and we have local distilleries and cideries even meteries and breweries and um on the produce side we still have some of our major league uh hothouses greenhouses and hoops so we have we still have heirloom tomatoes and beans and fresh peppers. And so your holiday table can really
1: feature a wide variety of options.
3: Yes. So we've, we've got it all of course. Well, obviously we have your winter vegetables and squashes, apples, pears, Asian pears, all that good stuff. And I also want to tell all you listeners out there that starting in January, Um, we have our annual winter loyalty program. So just for coming here and shopping, we mark your cards and you have the ability to get $25 worth of gift certificates every winter, January.
4: through That
3: is cool.
1: Will you send me that info so we can put that up on the site?
3: I will be more than happy to do that. Great. Our,
5: Daddy likes that free, Mosaic, that's for sure. Central
3: and Bethesda.
1: All right. Tell, every, tell everybody where they can find you this holiday season, Mitch, because I know there's so many fabulous offerings at all the markets. Thank you.
3: Thank you. So we have our two year-round markets, one in northern Virginia, in the Fairfax Mosaic District called the Mosaic Central Farm Market, and for Montgomery County in northwest Washington, we have the Bethesda Central Farm Market. And that's on the parking lot of the Bethesda Elementary School. We're open year-round. Visit us at centralfarmmarkets.com for more information.
1: All right. Thank you, Mitch. Stay warm. Enjoy. All All right. Let's get into some winemaking. So,
0: Connor, uh, in reading your bio, it was almost like you were born right out there in the middle of the vineyard. You've been (laughs) doing this a long time. Uh, Give us a couple of minutes on your background and then how you hooked up with Brooklyn Winery, and
6: you know, which is the same guys behind District Winery. Sure. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on. This is, mm-hmm. this is a lot of fun to do on a Sunday morning. Um, yeah. So wife, are you being facetious? Unless your wife is beating on you, <laughs> <when you're, laughs> <there we are. laughs> that's not that much fun. So I, um, yeah, I got into winemaking in 2003, right after college. I grew up in uh, California. I was actually born in Ireland, but grew up in California, and I a lot of winemaking. I was expecting, you know, more of an accent. Oh, well, comes out real late at night. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it depends. He's on He's very what's
1: disappointed.
6: <laughs> But uh, yeah, so growing up in Northern California, didn't really know what I wanted to do as a career. Uh, fell into winemaking after college by answering an ad on Craigslist uh, for a harvest position. So wineries like, will book up our staff during during harvest, um, you know, just extra extra hands to do all the, the hard work because we have a very busy season between you know September through November, right. sometimes August now. But um, I thought this is great. I didn't know you could do that. You could you know go out and you know be out in a vineyard and drive a forklift and you know. I had no idea what how, you how, how wine. <laughs> <laughs> I got a truck for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, driving forklifts a lot of fun.
0: And then somehow uh, you ended up with at Brooklyn Winery, yeah. which was their first project, and so.
1: But as the winemaker, yes, right? Correct. So, being an urban winery is a, it was a, sort of a brand new concept. I mean, now it's sort of a national trend, but mm-hmm. you. You and the team there, Jonathan and Brian, mm-hmm. were kind of at the forefront of this concept. So, can you explain it a little bit? Sure,
6: absolutely. So, so growing up, I, you know, I've worked in Napa, worked in Sonoma, but I've also worked in a lot of cities. So, I worked in San Francisco. We had a winery there mm-hmm. uh, that I worked at, and another one in in um, in Berkeley, California. But um, they were all really fairly small um, mm-hmm. things. So, I connected with John and Brian in, in 2010. Had the idea to do one in the middle of New York City. And I was like, "There's no way! Come on, right. how are we going to do this?" So went out, and saw the space, met them, and we like we were like, yeah, hey, let's go for it! Let's let's uh, we f- found an old nightclub, basically converted it into a winery. In about you mm-hmm. know, had about four months to do it. Uh, so we signed our lease in May, and then by October we're up and running making wine. Um, so it was a lot of fun. But we we've kind of taken it to a, a different level. We're adding a, a big layer of hospitality. So food, events, you know, combined with the wine, it, it, that's the 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 combo that really works.
1: Well, and the District Winery opened. What about it? Year and a half ago, too. Yeah, years. Yes, so we ago?
6: opened uh, about in August of last year. Right, yeah, and 17. I mean
1: it's right on the water, at in the Navy Yard. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful space, really one of the primo well, wedding a, wedding got spots got a in the city. Service Absolutely right. Yep. Yep.
6: Restaurant and a and a bit huge event space. So it's Yes, cl- yeah, so we do all operation. do everything. Do full full production on site. So we brought in just uh, when you came in during harvest. We actually brought in 97 tons of grapes to the facility this year, which is about just, just over 6,000 cases of grapes. wine this year. And that was our second harvest was this year. Uh, so we started in 2017 in district winery. So um, what'd you pour us first? Let's talk about what you pour. Sure. Yeah, this is, this is a fun one. So this is a, it's called, it's called our Cuvée Noir. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a, a red blend that I do every year. Um, that's, it's a Grenache-based uh, wine. So this is uh, 65% Grenache, 35% Petit Syrah. This is my uh, Cote Rhône. Uh, this is what I want it to be. Always a Grenache based blend uh, that's going to change up every year. Uh, so, this is like the perfect. Uh, I always tell people like, if you want to bring a wine that's safe and that people are really going to love, whether they're wine lovers or novices, this is the perfect right. blend to go for. We're going to taste it and see okay. what's
0: what. And let's turn to Mauricio, Javier, and Nasreen. You want to get up to she the mic? She doesn't microphone. want to get on you the don't mic. She doesn't want to on the doesn't the want talk on don't the mic. So shy, don't y'all. be so shy. All right. So, uh, as Nikki said you were here you had restaurants and then you took a I don't know was it a sabbatical what did you do you kind of you
1: gotta talk in the mic I
0: mean you were on the show about
1: he was ten, on one of our nine original, years ago yeah 10 years ago like the first and year
6: then of every show. day I'd
0: say where's Mauricio <laughs> <right?"> <laughs> so what was that deal about
7: Mauricio took uh, an early retirement mm-hmm. and last year my wife took me out of retirement
1: okay it she happens said, it's time
7: to go back why to work why are they
0: all so pushy
7: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: So, tell us what you wanted to do. What were you looking to get into?
0: So, what we're doing is now. Uh, you got to stay on the mic. Yeah,
1: you got to talk to the mic. You can't swing. Or else nobody can hear you. I'm going to jump in. Okay, uh-huh. why well, don't. right, there we yeah. go. Let's, let's talk to you. Yeah. Okay. So, actually, when we went away for four
4: years, mm-hmm. uh, we decided to come back, and my husband had a vision, and his vision was. Uh, he wanted to always do uh, a Japanese-Latin concept, Mm -hmm. but he had worked with uh, different people in the past, and so those were the best that he worked with, and Mm -hmm. he wanted to reunite and bring his vision alive. And I think Javier and Mauricio have a great energy together, Mm -hmm. and uh, finally he brought him back from Peru and he's been commuting actually until he moves here uh, in February. That's a long
2: so, drive. Well, so, every like morning. in Peru, <laughs> every 15 days.
1: chifa is a cuisine in Peru. Chifa right? is
2: actually uh, with it uh, with Chinese,
1: with Chinese with right? Chinese. So, but so, why Japanese? How does that come together?
2: Uh, Japanese, I think, is more uh, aesthetic. It looks mm-hmm. nicer mm-hmm. and uh, it's cleaner. Okay, it's cleaner food. So um, actually I actually really like the cleaner. So what taste. is it?
1: How is it that you're putting it all together? Like what are we looking at on the menu?
2: Uh, we're looking at the, um, a Peruvian and Japanese and separate uh, flavors, but in the same restaurant, on the mm-hmm. same uh, concept of food, mm-hmm. but trying to keep the Peruvian and Japanese separate. Like the fusion, the, the world fusion. It doesn't work really well, on this Well, fusion has become of, uh, a dirty
1: word, yes. and it really shouldn't, because, yes. because we're in a global economy, and right. we have ingredients from all over the place, Absolutely. and everybody loves different cuisines. Some of them right. do have a natural match, and some of them don't. Absolutely. So, this is
2: a,
0: well, I was going to say, why all. Oh, it sounds sort of, you know, the name makes me think of sort of kind of cafeteria...
3: That's
2: exactly the idea. 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 Oh, Pizza look at pizzeria. Oh, now she's Pan panadería.
0: <laughs> condescend to me, or <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Is that the idea?
2: At, at the real, I think the end is something that you do every day. Like panadería is something you buy bread every day. Cevicheria is where you eat ceviche. For food every day, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a uh, very the f- great way to is have food. I the, uh, assume we have this on. Well, Facebook yeah, so we Live.
1: have a minute before we take a quick break. Tell me quickly about some of the items you brought in today.
2: Yeah, we have um, some uh, lomo saltado. This is a super traditional Peruvian uh, dish. Yes, the steak. Mm-hmm. And it basically is um, Peruvian technique of cooking with a very heat pan and uh, vinegar, soy sauce. It's delicious. I've been picking and, at it already. Yes, some and uh, we serve expect. it over uh, Japanese rice, a sticky rice. So that's actually a very nice uh, combination of, um, mm-hmm. and there's of flavors. Something in the that, back
0: there. What's that? That's
2: ají de gallina. That's another Peruvian traditional, and we made it with Japanese touches. Mm-hmm. Is it seafood or I can't? No, tell it's you actually chicken. Chicken. It's mm-hmm. chicken, and so ají aj- amarillo sauce. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. What kind? Of, a, what is that?
1: that ají aj- amarillo of
2: sauce? is um, it's, a, it's a sauce. It's a pepper that grows in the um, highlands of Peru. Mm-hmm. We export it, and. Um, Yummy. Um, yes, it's a spicy, but it's very flavorful. Excellent. A beautiful pepper. All mm-hmm. right, we're going to take a, a quick jamarillo. break. When
1: we get back, we'll talk about the sushi component Absolutely, yes. of the menu and just more about the Right, and, we can, <laughs> and what more people can expect from the restaurant and its concept. Great. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. It's our last show of 2018. We'll Ooh-hoo. be back in a sec.
0: All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Mauricio Fraga Rosenfeld, uh, his wife Nazreen, and Chef Javier about susheria.
1: Uh. Which is a Japanese and Peruvian concept. Yes. Um so we were talking off air a little bit about the Japanese inclusion into Peruvian cuisine. Right. So is that something that you can find in Peru? Oh uh,
2: yes, actually comes um the original concept of um, this new merge of the cuisines is begins in Peru. Okay. It's like the new uh, generations of uh, Peruvian chefs mm-hmm. uh, looking always for new techniques, new concepts. They came together with the Japanese influence. and Well,
0: there's a big Japanese yeah, community. Is, In- How is. does that happen?
2: We have a big uh, immigration. Yeah, a big <laughs> a big immigration after the World War. Second World War, we have a lot of Japanese moving to South America, and Peru got a lot of the Japanese. But do you also think, big, I
1: mean, you know, sushi is this... Everybody loves sushi. Right. And yes. it used to be, you know, like when it was introduced to the States and any sort of like in the right. late 70s, early 80s, you know, it was real pure and simplistic. And now right. everybody has it sort of taken flavors. it over. Right. Absolutely, yes. So it, do you think the love of sushi is part of that, that like everybody loves sushi. So people want it on every menu. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Yes, it's like you find it question. everywhere, yes, like it in the strangest is, of, of places. You're like, oh, and here's sushi.
2: Yes, actually, the original of uh, Nikkei. That's that's the way. That's the, the name of this um, merch. It's not based on sushis. It's actually okay. based on um, Peruvian techniques of cooking. That is more uh, pan-fried, mm-hmm. more stews, more raw food. Mm. Even uh, that's sp- I think the uh, merging point mm-hmm. between Peruvian and Japanese is the passion for eating raw food. Okay, that's where the you know the merch begins, and then we get all these new exciting dishes from. Uh, so you did bring in ceviches.
1: some sushi. Tell us about the kinds of sushi that you brought I in today. I
2: see crab. Um, well, yes, we have. Um, that looks like that's we call it camarón andino. Mm-hmm. That we have shrimps and in uh, quinoa, mm-hmm. so that make it a little um, the best of the two worlds. We I, I personally like a lot using the quinoa grain. Um, instead of rice or with instead rice. Instead of rice, that mm-hmm. one actually have um, that one has, has rice. rice. I love I love
1: sushi made with quinoa. I yes. think you know it's a roll. We, we have a roll
2: with quinoa. Mm-hmm. Yes, quinoa is a fantastic uh, grain. And another dish plate we have the uh, pollo a la brasa. That is another dish. I think um, the local has been um, falling in love for the past years. Mm-hmm. You see Peruvian chickens. In many, many different uh yes no neighborhoods now. Absolutely. So we got a little like piece of uh, the chicken and we put some uh amarillo sauce, and looks, crunchy fries. You know. And on the left we have the ceviche. Beautiful. That's an interpretation of uh, having a raw ceviche. Yeah. Yes sir. Yep. Beautiful. And the corn, that's a that's very beautiful corn that comes also from Peru, it's very unique because like um it. actually it doesn't pop. Mm-hmm. That's a corn that cooks, but it doesn't pop. It's very uh, and it's very crunchy. Mm-hmm. These it are
0: almost too beautiful uh, to eat. I'm it, sorry. It is <laughs> actually
2: a nice. Um, I'll break down. And I do it, I love the crunchiness course, into the food.
1: So is the restaurant open just for dinner right now?
2: We have lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. Yes. Well,
0: that, you know what? Let's tell everybody where, where it, it is because that's one thing we haven't done.
2: We are thirty first and K, uh, right on Georgetown. So you in Waterfront. the
1: former Mate space, right? Correct.
4: Yeah. It's 3101 K Street. 3101 yes. K Street. So right at the right the here. Here. It's, it's the right, the it's it right at the bottom. It's right at the bottom. So It's a beautiful space.
1: You redid the space. Yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Actually, no. no. The space
4: was all designed by Mauricio and he did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. I, I, we had boxes like, for of months course. in our <laughs> house. And he was buying piece by piece, choosing different pieces, returning. And we lived in a warehouse, basically. My living room turned into a warehouse.
1: It happens in this industry. (laughs) Well, we want to thank you all for coming in this morning and for bringing all this beautiful food. This food food. is stunning. So everybody
0: check out Susharia. SushariaDC.com. Excellent, thank you, awesome. thank you
1: thank so you. much. Okay, all right, so Connor, Connor, head up to the mic. You just poured us something beautiful, tell us what it is, please. Yes, yeah, so
6: this is fun. This is something we actually just launched at, at Anna District Winery, the restaurant, um, mm-hmm. where we're actually doing a vertical uh, for the month of December. We started it last uh, last month with Pinot. This is actually we moved on to Cabernet Sauvignon, so it's a vertical from wines that I made starting in 2011. So, right now, it's 2011 Cabernet Sauvignon. Or we're gonna move on to the twelve and thirteen afterwards. So we guess to get to taste. Sa- same vineyard, same techniques, same everything, but it's really fun to do in a dining setting. And great. It when off.
1: we come back to you later, you can talk us through that a right. little bit more. All right. Great. So All right. So let's
0: move on. Dory, are you there? I am. Good morning. So, Dory Greenspan, the only way I, I was trying to think of the best way to describe you—you're the Meryl Streep of cookbook writers, aren't you? You've got five James I'm Beard up. Awards for out of. I'm
8: up. No one has ever said that. Well, well, now you can, you, now you can you, quote you, David. I'm going to
0: give that to you. My bill will come later, of course. But, but I mean, that's, that's the best way to describe. You've written these incredible books. I think the last time you were on with us, we were talking about Dory's Cookies. But you now have a yeah. new cookbook out. And um, what's fascinating is that it's really about it really sort of is a, a behind the scenes look at how you cook and and what you do for, you know, for friends in your various homes, which are all over the world. I have to add. D-
1: David is very jealous I'm of your various jealous. homes. <laughs> Invite me for lunch in
0: Paris. Don't bring me to Connecticut. That's all I say.
1: So well, tell- I'm, ta- I'm talking to you
8: from from Connecticut.
1: Okay. So she's like, don't poop on Connecticut no no no
0: I'll I'll be up in about two hours Well,
1: so Dory what we'd love to do is I mean we want to talk about your book because it's glorious and I've had the pleasure of already cooking through some of it but let's go back a little bit to the history of how you became this prolific cookbook writer what what was the impetus when did you start how did you get into food in such a way well
8: it, 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 it's a long story, and it started long ago. This is Everyday Dory is my thirteenth book. Right. If anyone had said this is what I was going to do with my life, um, anyone who knew me way back when would have just giggled. I had, I have, I have no culinary training. I taught myself to cook when I got married. I was nineteen years old, and I had to learn to cook, and I also wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And so this all came from. Um, practicing on my husband, Michael, our son, Joshua, our friend, and really wanting to do this. This truly was a passion. And I feel like, you know, I've been incredibly lucky to be able to work at something I love.
1: Well, not very many people can take their passion and turn it into their profession. So at what point were you able to take that passion for, whether it was entertaining or cooking for your family, and move to your start writing for the New York Times or start writing in general, when did it, when did cooking translate to the page?
8: After, so I I didn't finish my dissertation in gerontology, the study of aging. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry now, but never mind. Well, I thought my wife was
0: going to turn to me and say, you should step up and be her her subject.
4: (laughs) Uh, But I didn't. And
8: and after our son was born, (laughs) it was my husband who said, you know you love baking. Why don't you try and make a career of it? And I was very lucky. Um, I got fired from my first job. That wasn't really very lucky. But I was But sometimes things far. happen for a reason. Exactly. I wasn't very good in the kitchen because I kept playing around, which is kind of what I encourage people to do with my recipes in my in my books. Uh-huh. But I started writing for Elle magazine in the late nineteen eighties. And that's when I realized that I could put um, food and writing together.
1: Mm -hmm. And then once you started doing that, I mean, how did you come up with the concept for your very first book?
8: I was doing a lot of baking. Right. um, Because I
1: think most people think of you as, I mean, this book to me, it's not a huge departure from some of your other books, but you're really known for your baking advice and your baking cookbooks. (laughs)
8: Exactly. And somebody said to me recently, I didn't know you cooked. Oh. Well, you know, <laughs> don't they think know. you eat things
1: other than sugar and butter and I'm flour? I'm
0: guessing this is somebody who won't be invited back. <laughs>
8: well, no, it's just funny because, of course, I cook. And, you know, I, I'm I'm a responsible adult. I fed my kid dinner. You know, he <laughs> ate his spinach before he had dessert. Oh, yeah. right. But this this book, it, it is a departure because... Although you'd rather be invited to Paris, most of these recipes come from my living in Connecticut, an hour round trip from a supermarket. Mm-hmm. So these recipes are really simpler um, and more practical than um, many of my other recipes because I had to rely on very basic ingredients and I had to be nimble and, you know, kind of shop shop in my refrigerator and pantry.
1: Well, actually, that's what I thought was really fascinating about this cookbook compared to some of your other ones, which are, I mean, this is not a criticism, but they're a little more labor intensive. And, you know, like some of your chicken recipes, there's small little tweaks to, like, a classic roasted chicken, like, you just put something else in there, or, like, your gougeres, which I also thought were really interesting. And with you, the
0: walnuts. And yeah, the...
1: you know, you just found I'm lots of— sure, yeah. Right, like, lot in your um, umami burger. You found lots of little ways to take, I think, um, items that more and more people probably are cooking at home and sort of raise the bar a well, little bit. Well, let's ask
0: about that, because is that just a—you're you're, you're making it, and you say, ah, oh, what the hell, I'll throw this in, or are you experimenting with— 15 different kinds of uh, ways of doing it before you hit on the one that works?
8: Well, actually, most of my cooking is a kind of, oh, look what I have. I wonder how that would be in a recipe. And Mm -hmm. for instance, there's a stew in the book that I love. I gave it the longest name. So instead I call it the stew on page 149. Okay. Um, (laughs) I called it, where is it here? It's, Subtly spicy, softly hot, slightly sweet beef stew. Very descriptive, but impossible to remember. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those recipes. I started to make a very classic French stew. I had chunks of beef, and I was marinating them in red wine. And as I was going to into the refrigerator to leave it to rest overnight to marinate, I saw gochujang, which is a ch- uh, the a Korean, Korean sauce. Chili, mm-hmm. Yeah, chili paste. And I thought that might be good in there. Mm. And as long as I was, um, you know, in the refrigerator looking at the door, I put in some soy sauce. And um, so this stew went from Connecticut to France to Asia and then back again. And it was only after I made it that I thought, oh, this is good. I should have written it down. <laughs> you should have paid attention to what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, And that's true of a lot of these recipes. Once – once I've made something and I like it, then I work to formalize it as mm-hmm. a recipe and well, to get it just right.
1: Well, what was also, I mean, first of all, the photography is, once again, spectacular. really, I mean, it's just so bright and clean and inviting. I mean, it really makes, I, I think you. when you look at those pictures, you think, I I want to make that. I want to make something just as beautiful I look as at them and
0: think I want to eat yeah. that. Right.
1: Totally he doesn't cook. Well,
8: that's. Well, I need both of you. Um, But, yeah, Ellen Silverman took the photographs, and Mm -hmm. I I agree with you. I think they're just beautiful. Yeah, they're They're really— They really convey the spirit of the book.
1: Well, so with the holidays coming up, I mean, obviously this is a wonderful gift item, but what are some of the dishes in there that you would advise people for? Because, you know, there's a lot of impromptu entertaining during the holidays um, or gift-giving. What are some of your favorite recipes in this particular book that you're like— have this keep all these ingredients ready so that you can just throw it together at the last minute.
8: So two things that I serve all the time and they're great for the holidays because you make them ahead and they're very versatile. Mm-hmm. One is the ricotta spoonable. Oh, and- I
1: love that recipe.
8: Right, just ricotta with herbs, lemon juice, and oil. And mm-hmm. I keep a jar of it in the refrigerator because it's good on crackers, on toasted bread. You can fold it into pasta. But I'll put it out on a table when it gets come, just as a, a nibble along mm-hmm. with you know olives and carrots. The salmon rillette is another thing that's just its so easy to make. It keeps in the refrigerator, so it's smoked salmon and quickly poached fresh salmon mm-hmm. with mustard and honey and mayonnaise and again a great spread. Yeah, I saw that it in just, the Blemana
0: salmon kick. That oh, looks,
8: I love that.
1: I mean yeah, it's well, a great they, dish to have on hand. It makes all the sense in the world. Exactly. Right. And
8: then the dish that I've been making over and over again mm-hmm. are the oven charred tomato stuffed peppers. Well and, that picture
1: is phenomenal. I mean they just it just looks like a glorious dish.
8: And yours will look just like that. Okay, I'm so holding you to I that. what I love about this, I, 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 you can hold me to it. Everyone's <laughs> dish will look like that. What I love about it is you can make it ahead. You can put the peppers in the refrigerator and then roast them hours later. You can serve it hot, room temperature. I love room temperature food for, for the holidays um, or warm. And it has a little, a little surprise in it. And as we were saying before, I love when my recipes have something that you don't expect in them. So it's the peppers and in the hollow of the peppers, there are breadcrumbs that I've mixed with lemon zest, lemon juice, herbs, and mashed anchovies. And so and then there are cut um tomatoes on top and herbs and a drizzle of oh oil. It's a beautiful dish. It is a beautiful and when dish. You, when you cut into it you think, hmm, there's something in here that I really love but I can't put my finger on it. Right. And right. so I think that
0: that's a great holiday. I'm, my, I'm on my way to Connecticut. Okay. Get the guest room Dory, We want
1: to thank you for joining us again on our show. It's always such a treat to have you, and congratulations on your latest. Tell us where to get the book.
8: Everywhere. So That's it. Every day, Dory, mm-hmm. the way I cook, available everywhere. Happy That's holidays. Happy
1: holidays, You too. Sorry. We'll have you, you back
0: when the 14th book comes out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, bye-bye.
1: Thank you. this is david Bye. and Nikki nellis with foodie and the beast we've got more we'll be back in just a sec all
0: right we're back on foodie and the beast with david and Nikki nellis i want to thank our sponsors the market at river falls mm-hmm. pro fish uh the ivy city smokehouse yes and central farm markets thanks for supporting mm-hmm. the show mm-hmm. so connor let's go back to you uh district Winery, you've got you know i know you've got a little project called pet nat that you're working on you want to tell us Give us sure. thirty
6: seconds on that. Yes, yeah, so that's a fun one we're doing from this uh, this last harvest where we took Barbera, uh, soaked it for twenty four hours, and then pressed it and made it like a rosé, uh, and then we actually bottled it just uh, uh, two weeks ago. So it's actually gonna uh, trap some of the the CO two, and it's gonna be slightly sparkling. It's unknown. I've never done it before, so cool. I'm thinking I'll probably at least next year. Submit, when...
0: I'm willing to be part of your experiment when you pop good. that bad boy. Well, good, good. No, it's tasting should, great.
1: I think you should tell people because as an urban winery, you are bringing in grapes from a variety of areas, Right. right I mean, correct. you do a lot from California, mm-hmm. but how how do you pick the grapes for like the cab that we're drinking?
6: yeah so looking at regions first right so mm-hmm. um having my contacts that i've that i've known for a long time in california who's growing the best cabernet and the right site obviously for the right price that's mm-hmm. all kind of built into it and then there's logistics so being an urban winery the only difference is that we're not, not on a vineyard so we just truck everything in refrigerator truck and the grapes show up in perfect condition that way um, which is
1: but, really cool i mean having yeah. watched the process yeah i mean it's really need to, you yeah. gotta
0: go see this because it's just like going to a vineyard except they don't have except a vineyard. vineyard. But so they truck in missing. all these great yeah. grapes, and then the whole wine production operation is there, plus Anna, the restaurant, plus this unbelievable event space, plus the river and the
6: views. Absolutely. It ain't bad. No? Okay, Absolutely. what are we drinking now? So We're on to the 2012 Cabernet Sauvignon. So we had the 2011 first. This is the 2012. So this is a cool way to see a difference in weather, right, mm-hmm. the difference in vintages. Uh, 2012 is a much warmer vintage. 11 was very cool, but the 12 actually, you, you can tell it pops more. There's more fruit. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger, bolder wine. Mm. Uh, it's really fun to see. See the side by side, thank
1: you. Okay. All right,
0: so now I have the pleasure of introducing to the microphone a true Renaissance or renaissance man, Derek Brown. Derek is—he's uh, a leading spirit. He's really the guy that brought cocktails back, I, not just in DC but back into Vogue uh, around the country. I give him all that credit. You're the man. He's the, I'm not uh, giving him
1: all that credit. Yeah,
7: I, I don't know I'm if I deserve
1: give, all that I'm credit. I'm going to give him some of that He's credit. I'll take a small piece. A I think you deserve a piece of it. I
0: mean, you, you, you're you winning awards for Columbia Room and, and mm-hmm. for the pop-ups and for all the stuff you do. And now you've got a new book called Spirits, Sugar, Water, Bitters, How the Cocktail Conquered the World. Right? That's right. That's coming yeah. out
7: soon. That's coming out in March. 2019 look at you
1: well talk a little bit about the book first tell okay. us a little because it's your first book
7: this is my first book which is
1: kind of unbelievable given how long you've been in the industry yeah
7: it's it's funny writing a book is I think people who've done it it's very difficult mm-hmm. uh, well, it, talk it, to especially Greenspan. especially making that transition from bartending or events and are there any dirty there. parts that I should look uh, no dirty martinis oh. in it no not, not at all, all right um, but but it was something I'm passionate about, too. I've, mm-hmm. I've I've always been a writer. And so putting that work into it was really worthwhile. And so um, what I wanted to do is really just tell a story of the cocktail kind of over the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm not really a historian. Um, I do like to research and learn all about the stories of the cocktails and the spirits and the people behind them. Mm-hmm. And so this was my opportunity to kind of dig into that. And in a casual tone, kind of talk to people about it. And right,
1: because, I mean, there are a lot of cocktail books on the market. So mm-hmm. to bring your voice to the table, you have to have a sort of specific Yeah, thing and this you is, want to get out there, right? This is
7: from a bartender or, or mm-hmm. former bartender. I don't really bartend anymore. Right. But- but I think that that's a, a, a definitely a different voice. Um, also, this is one of the first books to really just take it from the beginning of the cocktail, even before that, all the way to the present. So okay. I think one of the most interesting parts of it to me mm-hmm. was to write about here and now, to write about what I call the platinum age of cocktails. Well,
1: well it's really oh, – sorry. Well, let me just jump in because
0: because you, know, you had this – you go back. Twenty years or mm-hmm. 25 years yeah. you know beer was Budweiser and cocktails were you know they were the you know they were the sort of the standard uh, brands and all that
7: mm-hmm. we call beer, that the dark ages
0: the dark ages <laughs> the medieval times but beer has become an art form and cocktails certainly have become an art form. oh yeah we, ha- we have a son who, who who is making a career out of it and mm-hmm. he's as much of an artist as uh, you know so how did all that happen why
1: how did all that happen for you
7: well for me, you know, I got involved in cocktails, gosh, so long ago, probably about 2000 and...
1: But weren't you in wine One? first? You were in wine.
7: Well, actually, I was a bartender first. Okay. Um, and then at that point, a lot of people would come up to me and say, what do you really do? You right. Know? I, and, and to me, that was... I'm like, an
0: actor. Yeah. <laughs>
7: well, a lot of bartenders did other things. But, right. But that's what I really wanted to do is be a bartender. So I was searching for some level of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. And right, we there was a growing sort of movement around some ways, and that becoming more important... And that had an educational component to it. You could right. go to the court of master sommeliers. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a sommelier. And that, to me, was was my way of learning more about the history mm-hmm. of drinking the his- and, and all the spirits and wines. And so I did that. But I really wanted to be back behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I made the switch back. So I've kind of started as a bartender, became a sommelier, right. went back to the bar. But so- when
1: you went back to the bar everything changed everything changed. You know, all of a sudden changing, it yeah. went from you know rum and cokes or seven and sevens or you know marginal martinis or chocolate martinis. Right. you know like drinks were sweet really really sweet oh yeah you know like i remember in college we drank like grape crushes like which was like sugar and right. sugar and sugar um so there was a <laughs> i'm not real... sure i'd
0: admit that but... right no <laughs>
1: but i mean that's what that's what they were pouring. Right. So um, well, that's what how people, did we go from that's the, what guys, the, guys were buying what were let they, let me jelly put it beans
0: or whatever they were the little oh
7: jello, jello shots. Jello shots yeah. oh, those are kind were. of fun. Look, I love a rum and coke. Okay, so let me just start by saying that. Okay. But um, yeah, how do we go from the, like the grasshopper to people smoking their bitters? You right. Know, like, exactly. It, it, it's quite a or transition. Or bitters in
1: general. Like mm-hmm. I know bitters are pre-prohibition. You know.
7: Oh yeah, there like were
1: additives for cocktails, but. I never heard about them until, you know, 15 years ago. Like, they disappeared from the landscape.
7: They did, yeah. And after Prohibition, there was just such a, a small group of them that were available to people. Mm-hmm. And when I started bartending, you know, there was Angostura bitters. Right, and that was that like was the it. crusty old bottle on the back of the shelf. That right. was not used.
1: <laughs> right, like the, um, the the cap was like stuck.
7: Exactly. And it was kind of <laughs> disgusting. I looked for Peychaud bitters because somebody told me how, about a Sazerac, which sounded strange to me. I didn't know what a Sazerac was. It sounded like somebody said Xanadu. I was right. like, what the hell is that? <laughs> but then they told me it had Peychaud's bitters in it. So I was like, I'm going to find that. And mm-hmm. I did. And that was like the number two bitters
1: okay.
4: you know,
7: on the market. Right. Then I found out a, a dry martini has orange bitters in it, which even today, still most people don't know. Don't know that. But then I had to hunt down orange bitters. I made my own because they didn't exist at the time.
1: That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's move a little forward and get uh, you opened up the Columbia Room.
7: Yeah. The original right.
1: Columbia Room, mm-hmm. which was a cocktail tasting.
7: Yeah. The goal was there, you know, really, it, it, I worked at the Gibson before mm-hmm. that. And I sort of s- would stand at the corner and hold court, and there'd be a bunch of people asking me questions. They wanted to know more about the spirits, they wanted to know more about the history of the cocktails. And I wanted to open a bar that reflected that, that people could really sit. Because that's kind of annoying in a way to my fellow bartenders to sit there and tell stories. while they have to make drinks.
1: Right, of course. So
7: I created a 10-seat cocktail bar, now 14-seat because we've moved since the original Mm -hmm. space. And with that 10-seat cocktail bar, we really had the chance to talk to people and tell them everything that they wanted to know.
1: Well, I think you should also add, I mean, having been to both spaces, Mm -hmm. but the new space especially, is that it's it's an experience. You really are... It's a three cocktail tasting. Yeah. There are bites in between. Um and it's it's it was the first of its kind for the city yeah. to have something like that.
7: In many ways, I think it's the first of its kind in in, in, in the whole country. I mean right. there's nothing I really saw that was doing that pairing cocktails and food. And maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. There are bars that did a great job of doing culinary cocktails, so I don't sure. want to discredit that. But this was sit down. This is like a tasting menu mm-hmm. um with food. And it's a culinary experience, and I think it remains that we keep it uh, kind of growing the menu and, mm-hmm. and expanding our techniques. And right now, the the bar is better than it's ever been.
1: And let's move back a little bit because you also have your pop-ups, mm-hmm. which you had three restaurants right next to each other: right. Southern Efficiency, Mockingbird Hill, Mockingbird Hill, the Hill. Rich. right? And then you decided to. Go a totally different route.
7: Yeah, we did a holiday pop-up bar uh, called Miracle on Seventh Street, which is actually running right now. Right now, right? But three, we years three, three years ago? Was it three years ago? Yeah. And uh, you know, at the time, it was only in Mockingbird Hill, which is a sherry bar. Yes. And it, I don't think I have to tell most people, sherry bar is not like a banger. Like most no, sherry people. Sherry and
1: ham bar. Right. Excuse me.
7: We did something sort of obscure, sort of fun for us, mm-hmm. something that we wanted to introduce for, for, to people, but we went. When As soon as we opened this sort of holiday-themed Christmas, Hanukkah, we all of a sudden were selling more sherry than we ever had because we put it in the cocktails. Right. And so in a way, we felt like this even extended our mission more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a space that was wildly popular. There's lines all over the place. Um, and we thought, hey, this is a great way to do what we love, make great cocktails, uh, pour spirits. We, and
1: have we, a real party.
7: And have a party. And it's been that way ever since we've opened it as pop-up bar. You know, right. We had Game of Thrones pop-up. We had um, uh, a Halloween pop-up. We had a Super Mario Brothers pop-up. Mm-hmm. All of it has been just incredible fun. We have a great design team um, that does it. We have a great staff that makes a cro- cocktail. Well, not only that, I, th- I think, it allows, I think yeah.
1: it allows everybody to get their creative juices flowing, right? Oh, yeah. So it's really, really I will different. sit
7: on the Iron Throne.
1: Okay, <laughs> That's right. so what, here, what's next?
7: So, <laughs> do, we,
1: do we get to tell? We have 30 seconds. I know, that's why I'm asking. It. Yeah, well, What's right not?
7: now we recently um, partnered up with Johnny Spirit to open up Reverie. We were um, just there on Friday night. It it's his restaurant. A lot of fun. But, but we helped him um, sort of on the back end and to watch that open and, and people just flood in there and, and their success is, is really what where we're at right now. Cool. Um, All right. It's an awesome Tell restaurant.
0: everybody the book is out in March, right? The
7: book is out in March. Okay. You can get it at Rizzoli, mm-hmm. Um Go to Reverie. Go to Miracle on Seventh Street. and Go to the Columbia. Yeah,
1: hit all. Of a them. Renaissance
0: promotional man.
1: <laughs> 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 all
0: right, take this a This is break. David
1: and Nikki Nellis. We're doing some gingerbread design when we get back. And we're back
0: on the air with Foodie and the Beast, David and Nikki Nellis. Again, I want to thank Pro Fish, the market at River Falls, Meat Crafters, and Central Farm Markets for taking care of the show and sponsoring us. So now we've got a we got all kinds of folks in here from uh, uh, Todd Nell and Gray's Mana and Milk and Honey. Uh, their sous chef is Darnell Thomas their trade dude their trade dude their coffee dude (laughs) is trey smith and ellen kassoff gray is here and we've got darnell's daughter shia in here too we have a special guest star special guest star we're talking gingerbread classes and gingerbread houses so darnell you want to grab a mic and talk to us about that so let's talk about
1: gingerbread why gingerbread
9: Gingerbread honestly has Get been up around. Uh, up. Gingerbread, gingerbread has been around for centuries now. i mm-hmm. actually been uh, researching it a lot. I was, I, the last I was there when it was invented. <laughs> I probably can believe that. Everybody no. giggles. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we found out that uh, gingerbread houses were pretty much uh, m- uh, made popular from the Brothers Grimm series, uh, Hansel and Gretel, where the two little kids wandered into the forest and the witch's upon, house was gingerbread. Yeah, the witch's house was gingerbread and they seen all the nice candies and cookies and all the stuff decorated with it and of course what kid wouldn't be attracted to that. So what
1: adult wouldn't be attracted to exactly, that? Exactly, you know. Saying.
9: So we pretty much uh go go off of that and we pretty much decorated exactly how anybody would like to take so it. So you're doing classes? Yes, we are doing two classes. The first one is sold out on December 20th. On mm-hmm. the 23rd, we do still have four spots open wow. to all the listeners out there.
1: Cool. We're opening both classes. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, that's good to know. We'll put that out there. But so let's talk about gingerbread because it kind of gets a bad rap because everybody coats it with like icing and candy. So it just becomes this conduit Mm -hmm. for. The icing and the candy exactly but so what do you do to make your gingerbread not only um, pliable to build a house but also tasty
9: yes uh so what we do differently than any other gingerbread recipe um usually with the regular gingerbread recipe it's almost like a regular cookie like a gingerbread cookie Mm -hmm. so you usually cream the butter with the sugar and you don't cook the sugar at all in our recipe we actually cook the sugar down with all the fat and the molasses and the cornstarch and water to pretty much get it more durable so All right, you how cook- many
1: people in the studio are like let's break into yeah. that right <laughs> <Yeah. out."
9: laughs> yeah. actually it might be a little hard like i said we cook the sugar so when you cook sugar think of like a lollipop yep. the more you cook sugar the more harder, harder it gets. gets so right before like a hard ball it's like a softball stage so we add that into our dry mix when we make the the dough from it and it actually comes out a little bit lighter than usual mm-hmm. um, because we use light corn corn syrup but okay. you can get the recipe on uh quincehospitality.com If you want to alter it a little bit and add some molasses into it to get a darker uh, gingerbread house, you can also do that as well.
1: So now when you're doing your classes, I assume the gingerbread is already made.
9: Yes. All the gingerbread has actually been made for the last three months now. Brandy Brandy Edinger over at the... Uh, over at Manna and um, Milk and Honey, she mm-hmm. definitely starts very early to get right. all these put together. So, then
1: do you put the houses together for everybody, or yes, they she's gonna have them? them assembled.
9: She's gonna have them assembled for them, and okay. then she's gonna have all the candy laid out, different types of candy. So there's and, no you tears
1: know. about houses that aren't happening, no, nope, not at all. But
9: yes, and she actually um, <laughs> uses a royal icing, which is one of the most sturdy icing that you can use because it's, it's like pretty, glue, yes, well, exactly. It's almost like cement, honestly. This will last for months, it probably speaking, last you into speaking March, of honestly. Things that are sweet. I'm watching Trey make i don't know what you're making
0: right what are you doing
1: over there
5: <laughs> i mean you're talking about sugar highs what are you doing there so here i have a get up to the uh, mic you you gotta you gotta stay, get.
1: get to the mic please i apologize
5: <laughs> about that here i got a salted caramel mocha
1: mm-hmm. which is
5: um our finest espresso from swings which is a local roaster here in arlington virginia mm-hmm. Where's um, for this. Mm-hmm. you gotta try it uh one of the best coffee roasters out there at, uh today i don't really drink starbucks or anything like that but they're one of the best, so I like their coffee. Uh, it's a salted caramel mocha right now, and I'm working on a, uh, actually a peppermint hot chocolate. It's really good. Um, These are all local. right? <laughs> I wouldn't say locale. No. Uh, you could, but probably, so did you you could source, probably do non-dairy or something. Did you
1: source or the coffee roasters? Was that something that you... Um,
5: So I actually used to work downtown at uh, Pete's Coffee and Tea. Mm-hmm. Uh I want to say it's like 400, I mean... I forgot. It's on 11th Street, 11th okay. and E. And uh, it was a place right across the street from it, and it's actually a landmark movie theater now. Sure. I'm pretty sure you guys uh, heard about it. Mm-hmm. And I see it always said coffee roasters, and they said Mesco. I was like, I really don't know what that is, but it, it seemed like it was probably a coffee roaster at a, to- at a point in time. And then right up the street, they actually have a Swings coffee shop. So I always wanted to try the coffee, and I never really tried the coffee. But then when I got uh, <laughs> the position of being the beverage director, I most definitely went out and searched my own coffee, and that was somebody that I tried. I tried so many different roasteries in Washington D.C. and the Virginia area, and they actually had the only coffee that I really, really like.
1: So, what is it about the coffee that you like so much?
5: Um, it's really strong and robust. Mm-hmm. It's not really like a um a weak or watered down coffee. Is that hot? It's hot. Yes. Send it
0: over here, son.
1: He's like, Let's I want. Try. It. I'm gonna, try. You're gonna finish something. But you have to. Uh, show the no, side. no. There's plenty of sugar <laughs> So, uh, the little, the little house on the
5: side, all right. Oh,
4: What's yeah, okay, so this is, a, oh, this and is then a new we also, oh, the yeah, because I,
5: I was still trying to build the uh, build the drink, so okay, they made little gingerbread houses to put on the side of the cup. I really think it's really uh, cute. Cool. <laughs> uh,
0: everyone likes
5: cookies good. with that's their bad coffee, you know. Uh, all
0: right, we, we only have a, a couple of seconds here, so Ellen. This is an annual thing with you, right?
5: It's it just started. Yeah, I know,
0: but I mean, this is going to yes, be every yes, year. Yes, yes. And Shia, you got to say something. Shia
3: is the you, cutest thing Shia, ever. What do you say, like about
4: making gingerbread houses?
3: I like um, with Daddy making my house. There you go.
0: <laughs> that was Ellen faking Shia's voice. <laughs> <laughs> she likes to make
4: uh, gingerbread houses. You you're cute. So she was our, right. she was our first class tryout. See how they, how they all work, how all the kids work. I love it. Point. All right. All right.
0: Tell everybody how they can get those last four seats.
9: How um, do they you reserve? Can go, you can either contact Ellen Kassoff, Ellen Kassoff at EquinoxRestaurant.com. Or you can go on quinthospitality.com and we'll have the link there for you also. Right. And of course we also
1: Thank have the you. link on the it.com so right. you can get those sites as well.
9: I, tr- you should see
0: how
5: trim Trey is. I guess you're drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> <aren't
0: you? laughs> I'm up all night working out. Yeah. No, actually,
5: when I was in high school, I was on a marching band all four years. So oh, right. I'm pretty sure you guys have heard of Baloo singing high school. Yes, we have. And uh, we actually got the best uh, the uh, best uh, band uh, in the uh, land. Shout out to them. <laughs> so um, I trimmed down actually doing a Rose Bowl parade. So Uh-oh. once the Rose Bowl Boy, are while. you dropping names. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. All right, Thank so, Conor, come on
0: back. we got a, uh, about two more minutes here. What is this last wine? This is spectacular. Yeah, so I decided to
6: switch it up. I all these these sweet things coming in. I was like, oh, let's Can you let's do go the there. Irish
0: accent now? No, he's not doing the
6: It's Irish. way too early in the morning. Right. All, right. Yeah. all right, all right, I forget it. Um, yeah, so I this is uh, Old Vines Infandel. Uh. so mm-hmm. it's much more jammy. It, it, the illusion of sweet, it's actually dry, so it means there's no sugar left in the wine, but all the the, the ripe fruits and like, cherry and raspberry and then the vanilla, it kind of equates when I when I saw these these things coming. in were oh, like, let's I'm try gonna it. go let's with that. It. Yeah, that makes um, all the sense. So this in the is a world. super fun one. Like that, uh, it's a big crowd pleaser. So it's kind of big and bold, so
1: tell people what's happening we have about a minute anything okay. really exciting that's happening right now down at the winery that they should I mean, look for can you
0: actually get into Anna between now and Christmas Anna
6: there's some some availability yeah um the uh, I think we're booked out for events all the way through 24th so that's that's locked out but um you know, the restaurant doing tons of specials like I said the, like the verticals which is really fun. you can't really find that uh, anywhere right uh, which is a really fun thing for me to showcase stuff that I've made a long time ago and now we're talking going back to 2011 now. Um, and then, uh, looking forward to the stuff that we're going to release in spring, especially that Petnat, uh, and our new Rosé, which will be kind of yeah, brightening up like spring. it's so coming soon. Very exciting. Yeah. Excellent.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, tell everybody where they can find you, please.
6: Uh, so we're down at 385 Water Street uh, down mm-hmm. in the Navy Yard, uh, right next to the Navy Yards in the Yards. Um, come on down. we got a beautiful, uh, beautiful place and, uh, lots of things to do down there as well. There's an ice skating rink, for the kids and great. come by, do some wine tasting and go out and get a good meal.
1: Terrific. So we got it all. It all Thank sounds you so good. much. Okay. All right. Great.
6: That was a fun
0: show. It was
1: a fun show. And
0: be sure to check out Susharia down in Georgetown and, boy.
1: And the gingerbread classes. The gingerbread classes and, and, and winery, Dory's cookbook Dory's and cookbook. Derek's book coming out. Yep, exactly. Okay,
0: we got to write a book. No,
1: we don't. How about <laughs> that is something getting we beat definitely up, up by your wife on the radio? We don't have I'll to write do. that book. Okay. Um, so, well, while we're wrapping up the show, uh, 2018 has been a really magical year. Uh, for the D.C. restaurant scene with amazing restaurants opening, uh, incredible the incredible options that are now available, whether it's fast, casual, fine dining or just um, regular dining altogether. Brunches, lunches, dinners. There's so much happening in the D.C. dining scene. And we've been so fortunate in studio to really talk to the movers and shakers of the D.C. dining scene, and people from both uh, national and international who are changing the way that we eat and drink. Um, Especially for us, it was our 10-year anniversary. Uh, Doing this show for the last 10 years has really been um, a joy.
0: 22 years of blissful... Okay. Matrimony That
1: has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, we're very uh, grateful and fortunate to be able to get to do this every Sunday, uh, and we are grateful to you, our listeners, for tuning in every Sunday with us. Don't forget, of course, we also have our show on Mondays at the Line Hotel, which we'll be celebrating. It's one-year anniversary in January, Industry Night. Um, We want to especially thank Andy Mitchell, who we cannot do this show without every Sunday. Well, we can,
0: but it wouldn't be any fun. It wouldn't be any fun. And nobody would hear us. (laughs) That's also true.
1: And we want to wish you, our listeners, and all the people in studio today, the uh, healthiest and happiest of holidays